Hi, and welcome to Death in Cambodia, Life in America, a podcast where I interview my father, Robert Chow, one of the first survivors of the 1970s Cambodian genocide. He survived the killing fields, navigated through the jungles of Thailand, and escaped to America to build an empire in the donut industry. After about 40 years, I think it's about time he got a chance to share his story. I'm Dorothy, his daughter, and your host for today's episode. Let's dive in. everybody and welcome back. This is episode two of Death in Cambodia, Life in America. So last episode, we talked about his childhood, city that he was born in, his past, his personality. This episode, we are going to slowly merge into how he started kind of hearing about Pol Pot and the Khmer Rouge and the early beginnings of that stage. So Ba, welcome back. <laughs> Hello, everybody. Um, so today I wanted to kind of get into when you started really hearing about the Khmer Rouge, Pol Pot. How did you feel? Do you remember how old you were when you started hearing about Pol Pot, communism, Khmer Rouge? Did you know what that was? What do you remember from the very, very beginning? I was at that time, I was 13 years old. I still live with grandma and grandpa in a small city. So I didn't know much about Khmer Rouge that much because I was, you know, uh, little, well, not that little, 13, 14 years old. Mm -hmm. But I think in Cambodian, the new, it's not like today's new. You just turn on the TV and then you can you know, hear everything and know everything, what's going on in the country. But at that time, Cambodian was a very, very poor country, uh, probably the poorest country in the world. So you didn't hear much. and, and uh, No television like today? No, no television. All the news you had to hear, hear through um, the radio? Mouth to mouth. And oh, radio. mouth to mouth. Yeah. And okay. uh, you're talking about the city in Mongolia. It's a pretty good-sized city, but everybody knows everybody in that town. So if anything has happened, I mean, you know, just take only one hour, two hours, everybody knows, because in the morning, they just, everybody come out and go to buy the market market free market and they see each other they talk uh, uh, anything's happened uh, uh, that day or that night mm -hmm. so mm -hmm. i didn't know much about the camaros but i heard from the friend or family mentioned about camaro but i didn't really really pay much attention Khmer Rouge, Khmer, it means Cambodian. Cambodian. Right. Rouge is a French word. It's red. It means communist. Yeah. I see. So Cambodian communist is what Cambodian it means. communist, Khmer Rouge. They have two parties uh, versus Sihanouk, the king of Cambodian, party 
And then the other side is long north. So one part is supported by America, and the other Khmer Rouge party supported by China. Mm-hmm. So I was living with grandma and grandpa up until you know thirteen years old. So when grandma and grandpa told me you need to move back home because the Khmer Rouge is getting close to our town now. Mm-hmm. So I don't want to be responsible for your safety, your safety, all of these things. So I was moved back home to live with mom and dad. Mom and dad. And so did mom and dad have a plan when you got back home? I'm sure at that point they're getting kind of scared. Well, everybody getting scared because my parents own quite a bit of a business mm-hmm. uh, to uh, manufacture. Mm-hmm. We have three, four hundred employees. So we we were considerably wealthy in that uh, poor country. Right. We have a car. We have three cars, actually. We have a Mercedes. We have motorcycle. Yeah, I was I was so so happy when I moved back home. I have a motorcycle mm-hmm. and I have people that cook for me and I just live like a like a uh, spoiling, you know, rich kid. I just uh, And you and you and at this point, at this point you hadn't lived with mama and yeye. And so now you finally get to go home and you get to see them every day. And when you came home, they're all, they're rich, they're servants, and you knew that the communists were targeting these kind of people. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I, I can s- see my dad was worried, and he tried to, actually, he tried to send me out of the country, but I then tried to do passport and send me to Taiwan. Mm. But it Things change. Khmer moving so fast at that time. 1978, that's what it they moving to, too close to the, all the city in Cambodia. I mean, all the whole country. And at that time, I think now beginning of 1979, then they were very aggressive. Historical content. Okay, so first of all, I wanted to correct Ba right there. It was not 1978-79. That would have been after the war. It's actually 1975 that the Khmer Rouge took over the capital of Cambodia, which is Phnom Penh. So I want to backtrack a little bit because I realized that not everybody really knows about the Khmer Rouge. I mean, as I said, it's not really mentioned in history books. And so just to give you guys a little bit of historical context here, we're talking about the 1960s, 1970s, Cold War, communism versus democratic countries. You've got these big players out there that are trying to claim power over these small Southeast Asian countries in order to kind of gain power for their separate parties, whether it be communism or democratic. So, you know, there's a ton of turmoil just in general going on in the country of Cambodia. The big government officials have different opinions. And so, Just, I mean, political chaos everywhere. 
the country is looking for, I mean, a, a different solution. I think at this point, people are a little bit more open to hearing about what these radical parties may really have to say, you know? So at the time, Khmer Rouge, as we're talking about, which means Cambodian Red Party, was originally a radical group of communists that started out as just a small group out in the countryside. But because of all the dissatisfaction with the country, I think they slowly started to grow bigger and bigger. And so I think it's really, really important to actually point this out because we want to be sensitive to the fact that these people aren't initially bad people. I, I mean, I, I'm a I'm a deep believer in the fact that I don't think anybody is really born bad. But, you know, when you take people and convince them of a way of thinking from a very, very young age, you know, we'll start to realize that a bunch of these Khmer Rouge soldiers were actually only between the ages of like 12 to 14. When you start young kids and start telling them that this is the way and this is right and this is right, they end up growing up thinking that that is the way, right? And so I think, um, as I said, the country was in a time of turmoil already. The rise of the Khmer Rouge happened because of that. And their thinking was very, very radical. I mean, as we can learn later on, maybe they thought that it was better for the country, but actually um, really was quite detrimental just because of how radical they were. But their thinking really was a cleansing of the entire country, right? They were thinking, quote unquote, out with the old, in with the new. Um, let's reject everything that we've ever known and let's get rid of all the Western things that were man-made. So that's where we're talking about cars and really just wanted to kind of hit the reset button. And so, I mean, as we've seen historically, every time bad people try to hit the reset button, it's uh, it's never quite the way that they planned. But that's what they were thinking. They wanted to be self-reliant on themselves. They were intensely nationalistic and they wanted to figure out a way to really just not depend on any other country besides themselves. So um, that's a little bit of the historical background of kind of what's going on. Let's get back to the episode. And then at that time, I can feel it. And then my dad told me, I said, let's move to Thailand. So let's move. I think we did move to the border of Thailand. Uh, the name of that town is called uh, Ochrao. Mm. Ochrao, when you cross the small bridge, it's just a small river. And then you, you, you cross to Thailand. So we have a house close to the border of Thailand. So what he was planning, if something go wrong, and then he just walked across to Thailand. Mm -hmm. So we did move over there for, for one month, and then he decided to move back to Mongolbury because he said, hey, I think everybody stay, I think. Uh, uh, I don't think, you know, Khmer uh, is not going to change anything, any law, any rule. So it's going to be a freedom uh, country. What, 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 do you, what do you mean by that? So he, his plan was to go to Thailand or to the border of Thailand, but then he decided to move back because he wasn't scared of the Khmer Rouge? No, he didn't think they... because you now all his friends were staying, you know, so no he, one that really 
uh, move out the country, and then plus you got a lot of thing to take care of to take care of and plus you know he doesn't really want because all his business all his people and he still just follow a look at his all his friend that was so successful than him he said they only they don't even want to move move out out. so why maybe the fear maybe the fear wasn't really uh hitting anybody yet no they felt like okay maybe this is something that will pass Maybe this is, you know, I I have important things to take care of, so I'm just going to move back, and maybe this is something that will blow over. Yeah, and then at that, that time, the communists didn't take over yet. Everybody know that the Khmer Rouge will will take over the country pretty soon. We feel it, we see it, we saw it, and. Uh, but you didn't think they were going to be violent and aggressive and 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 start me for me. I was really enjoy the motorcycle, the rich that I didn't really have that lifestyle. So I didn't really pay attention much about the Camaro. I just enjoy my rich life. Right. And I drove the Mercedes without a driver license. I don't need the driver license because that is so powerful, rich and Cambodian, if you have money and you you have the law on your hand too, I mean that right country. A that's lot of, the way. A lot of small corrupt countries. Corrupt that's, that's, country. that's pretty common. So you guys moved back to Mongolia. They what were happened? friendly. They were friendly. They up. They tell everybody, calm down. We gonna. We're not gonna do anything. We're not gonna change anything. Just live in your normal life. So everybody believed that. So we moved back to uh, Mongolia. I drove the Mercedes to another border of Thailand called, what's the name of that city? That city, they have a lot of ruby. Red rubies? Red ruby, blue ruby. Uh, a lot of gems. A lot of gems, yes. and. I went to that city and stayed there for a whole three weeks with the Mercedes. I was only 14, 13, 14 years old. And when this Camaro took over, I was in that city. I didn't uh, know what was stay going on. With the, with the parent. Mm-hmm. My parent couldn't contact me because we didn't have a cell phone. Mm-hmm. Uh, only thing that he able to contact me through the uh, taxi driver, you know, because the taxi driver that they go and then you can pay him pay, and then and he then can bring take the, the letter, message. Yeah, take the message to uh, to you. So I got the message. He told me to come back home now. Now, or you can go ahead and cross to Thailand. I'm not gonna cross to Thailand because I don't. I I, I don't know. I didn't know anyone. You're 14 How, years old. Uh, yeah, your family's did, here. Yeah. And then, then I just love that Mercedes. Oh my God! It just and so I drove it back to Battambang. Battambang it's a capital. It's a capital of a state. Mm-hmm. So Mongolia, it's a city. Mm-hmm. So so I drove to Battambang to the state, and 
stay with the friends. And at that time, the red, the Khmer rule is already all over the capital, the city, I mean, over the whole Cambodian. The, where do these people come from? I mean, uh, they're Cambodian, but how they is Cambodian. it? It was a small group at first. I don't know if, if well, you knew at that gather, time. But. I think, you know, what I heard was Chinese soldier and recruit the poor people and the uh, countryside people, the people who have no education. So they recruit all of that and gave them tried uniform. to do the brain the brainwash them. Right. They started with give them food, give them uh, clothes, because Cambodia was poor, I tell you, a countryside, even poor, hard to find the food put on the table to raise the, you know, how they raise the children, but I think they just tried to survive. So when this group to recruit and give clothes and explain to them, they say, all the government rip off you guy. that's why you guy couldn't f- have any food put on the table. You're struggling so hard. Struggling so hard. So they they love it. They just joined the party in the forest and carried the rifle and fought for them. And then all of these people, all these soldiers, age ranging from 10 years old up. And 10 years old, I mean, they just like, they just like uh, a baby. Uh, uh, well, I think it is easy to tell them what to do. Right. You tell them to kill, they kill. They just throw no remorse. They just kill you. I think you know. And you tell them to torture, to open, uh, cut the throat. They cut the throat. I mean, you know, that's what uh, this Kamaru training all of this kid. So you move back. So you drove now. Back. I drove back to Batambong. So they stopped me because that's what they target, the people that have Mercedes, Mercedes car, and jury, watch, uh, anything that they want. They just stop you. They just ask you. They said, okay, I want, the, I want your watch. I saw in my own eye when they stopped one of the family throw the car, nice clothes, have a lot of jewelry, and then have a watch. So they stop and they said, okay, they call Anka. Anka, that means the party. Party won your watch, your jewelry. And then I think the husband didn't want to give the watch. So they just go ahead and shoot them. Shoot the husband. And I killed the husband and killed the wife in front of the two children, aged probably, I think, probably six, seven years old, just killed in front. Uh, and then after that, people saw that. So they stopped me. I'm just, I'm just behind that family. So I didn't, I didn't have any watch. I didn't have anything. So they stopped me. They just looked at me, look at the car, and they let me go. So uh, I went into the city, so I stayed with my dad's friends in the city for two, three days. I believe it was about three, it's no more than one week. So then it's just starting, you know, they're starting changing every single hour, you know, the rule, the law start changing every hour. So now they announce it, 
all the people that work for the government, the government officer, soldier, school teacher, all of that. We want you to gather and meet us at one school. I think it's a university. So we want all of that people meet you at what at at this time. So. We're gonna go ahead and take you to one place so we can educate you. So I mean, at that time, nobody, nobody know what's going on actually. So whatever they told us, I think they just follow, you know. But everybody now was a little bit ner- nervous because you know they saw it's shooting, killing. Uh, now they're afraid, and then people talk because you know they you can't they just shoot you uh, if you don't give it the watch or anything that they ask for. They just kill you in front of uh, in front of everybody, everyone. So everyone's scared. Everyone was was so panicked at that time. A few group that was scared so bad. They just took off and straight to Thailand. Mm-hmm. Just a small group. So they took my car, so I have no way between Kaparol, Battambang, to Mongkolbury. Because of the road, it's not that good. So you cannot drive more than 25 miles per hour. So it took about four to four. Four hour, four to five hour, uh, from Battambang to Mongolbury to where my parents live. So now they took my car, so I have no transportation. But I think you know a lot of people try to move out to not try to move out, try to stay in the house. Don't want to go out. Right. So. The first thing that they want to get rid of, that later on I found out, they want to get rid of the, the government officers, teacher, educate people, uh, student, that any anyone that have knowledge, have education. So I think the a lot of people went to that university uh, and gather and they talk them a whole family i believe it's probably 10 to 20 truckload i mean you know people it's not like school bus no this is just like a cargo truck uh just open you know you just like a 20 study, yeah 24 foot 26 foot uh, just like a cattle cattle you know you haul mm-hmm. cattle right, truck right so they fit that it's one truck it fit probably I say the maybe sixty to seventy people, uh, probably up to a hundred I guess. So they took them to uh, one place. They took these people between Butterbomb and Gualbray. That's where the road I need to go home. It's the right. same road. So they took them over there. To, to kill, to kill them all for the first batch. I call it bad. Uh, mm. They just put them not far from the uh, road because, you know, they cannot 
get off the road that far because you know there's no road. I mean, most of them is just like a field, a rice field, and a lot of water. There's no way that they can get off that road too far. About 20 truckload. Uh, I didn't see that. They they let these people all in one group and use a machine gun and just kill the whole family, small, big. I mean the whole family because, you know, they want the whole family. So you're talking about if it 15 truck, it's, it's more than a thousand people, you know. You cannot kill them all, use them, even you use a machine gun. They kill a few of them, got away and run. Uh, that's what I heard. And then the second batch, now, the, second, the first batch is nobody knows, nobody knows what's going to happen. I have no idea. So they follow the rules. So the second one is still follow the rule. And then it, all the people that got out went back to Battenbaugh. Whole spread every word. They said, "Don't go because they kill us all." After two hours, get on that truck and everybody die because they use the 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 kill. Yeah. So the word is spread out, and then everybody know now. And now, now you don't know who work for the government, who is the wealthy. Because now, in the first and second, the third, and people didn't know, had no idea. They just go and you know show up. They said, "I'm work for the government. I'm the so, I'm I, I, I'm a navy. I'm all of that." But now you have no idea because you know if you just threw away your ID and then no no nobody know. I think uh, the Khmeru won't know that you work for the government. I was still in the city, so then. After the, after maybe one week, and then I walk. I got out to walk. I got out to walk to Montgomery because my parents, mom and dad, waiting the whole family waiting over there, and they were so worried what's going on. So I walk uh, uh, by. Sometimes you know I see the uh, what do you call it, reteco. You know mm-hmm. it's a uh, use the cow and pull the. Uh, what, I don't the know, little what, cart? The little cart. You yeah. know, not little cart. It's pretty, pretty big wheel. You big know. wheels, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And, mm. uh, so How many uh, days? It, took, uh, it took me uh, 10 days. Wow. Ten, it's not that far, but it took 10 days. So when I left the Battenbong, I think the total between Battenbong to Mongolbury, probably 50... I think 50 miles, 50 miles or 60 miles. So after I left about maybe half, about 30 miles out of the city, uh, Battenbong, you saw a dead body all over, you know, in a pond, in a, uh, everywhere, it just spread. And then, you know, Cambodian weather, it's so hot. You're talking about humid and 90 degree, 100 degree, and the dead body. You're talking a thousand, uh, more than a thousand dead body lay all over the place. It smelled so bad. It was so 
horrified. It's so horrible. You see children, you see. And, uh, and then it's no water. I think I was drinking a dead body in front of, you know, in that pond there. You know, what can you do? I mean, you're thirsty. So uh, just want to get home. Hey, everybody, and thanks so much for listening to the first couple episodes of Death in Cambodia, Life in America. If you guys are enjoying the episode so far, I would love if you guys can hit the subscribe button or give us a review. It really, really helps us out in terms of the ratings and let me know what you guys think. Episodes will be released every Sunday. And I actually also encourage you guys to follow us on Instagram as well. I will be trying to post content that kind of aligns with what we're talking about in the episodes. For example, the Mercedes that my dad drove. So um, it'd be kind of fun so you guys can follow and see the pictures along with the stories. If you guys have anything else, feel free to DM us via Instagram or check us out on our website. I will catch you guys next week.